Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're once again uh, delving into Mitch Stokes' How to Be an Atheist. We're trying to be good uh, sober skeptics. And uh, we're in the chapter Arguing with Success, which is uh, chapter number seven. And uh, we just kind of um, last week dismantled uh, um, science and um, we're, we're really beating it up. And is it is it providing us truth or is it just providing us theories that are helpful? So that's kind of where we're at. Um, we're taking a, a look at um, kind of the uh, the instrumentalist approach, which uh, is not so much um, uh, does a theory provide us truth, but uh, do the theories that we have uh, are are they useful? Or can we can we utilize what they say um, to uh, to produce um, uh, what what we would consider successful um, things like uh, technology or just advancing. Um, the 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 argument that um, that we're putting forth. So right. So Stokes is suggesting that a sober step skeptic should consider the position of instrumentalism. Right. So realism says the reason why that um, science uh, scientific theories work is because they're true, and the entities, the things that they deposit, uh, posit that we can't feel unobservable entities <laughs> really do exist. There really are quirk, quirks. Right. That sort of thing. The instrumentalist says, well, wait a minute, why do we want to even go that route, right? As long as the theory works and it's successful and it allows us to make predictions, that's all we need a theory to do. We don't have to, you know, burden it with the idea of saying, and it's true because, mm -hmm. and then now he's beginning to give us a bunch of reasons to believe, to show that in the past, for instance, there were many theories that were successful, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they were true. So we can't equate the truthfulness of a theory with its success. His argument is, as we will recall, is that science works. Science says that naturalism is true. If naturalism is true, then, of course, there's no God, and therefore, since science works, there is no God, right. right? And he's trying to attack the issue of, well, wait a minute. Yes, it does work, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true, mm -hmm. right? And that's an instrumentalist position. His next position, then, or his next issue here is, uh, this: the subtitle here says, but these are the best theories ever, so clearly, they must be true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. In <laughs> fact, uh, this is known. Um, this as this argument has come to be known as the no miracles argument. Right. And basically, the idea here is the the positive argument for realism is that uh, it is the only philosophy that doesn't make the success <coughs> of science a miracle. Right. In other words, you know, science is so successful. Uh, it's gotten us to the moon, as we, you know, all right. those types yeah. of things. So it would be a miracle if it wasn't true, right? That's the that's <laughs> the that's the miracle argument for for science, and of course he, he doesn't really buy that. Right? That's the that's the most um, uh, important argument, positive right. argument for realism, yeah. which is you know, the, science gives us all the theories are aiming at truth, and they give us truth. Right? You you can take any point of of the um, scientific literature throughout history, and you can make the claim, but these are the best theories ever. And then they get all overturned or dismantled, or there's a complete cultural uh, um, uh, revolution in scientific understanding where we throw out all of them and s start over or uh, come to a new conclusion. So, yes, they're the best theories ever uh, because they're 
they're here right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what he's going to do now is look at the most uh, successful theories that we have right now, the most confirmed theories that we have right now. And the first thing he does is he says the um, the um, founders of those theories um, were had instrumentalists. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. So he says uh, he says it's isn't it. Isn't nearly as he says, uh, we consider the instrumentalist view of the founders of the general relativity and quantum theory. So, those are the theories that he wants to look at here. These theories, one of the, the couple of the most successful theories that we had, the founders had instrumentalist views. Uh, now, the first one, uh, general rel- rel- relativity, we say, wait a minute. No, 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 uh, Mitch. Uh, Einstein was a realist. I yeah. mean, he said that, you know, science was after truth. Well, what uh, Mitch tells us here is that, yes, later, but initially <laughs> he was an instrumentalist, right. right? So he says, consider relativity. Rel- relativity. Ironically, its founder, Einstein, is famous for his scientific realism. You know, for his view that the goal of science is to get at the truth. Yet in his early days, mm-hmm. while developing his theories of relativity, he acknowledges the influence of Ernest Mach and Hume, right, our good friend David Hume. Good old Hume. Especially that of Hume, whose treatise he studied during his early life. Both Hume and Mach were famously skeptical about the truth of unobservable scientific explanations. Einstein's conversion, he says, to scientific realism occurred around 1920, only after he had developed both theories of relativity, both yeah. the special and the general theory of relativity. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah I came about this because it worked, uh, but, you know, I'm really certain that this is true, so, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, begging after the fact there. Right, so prior to his conversion, yeah. he actually presented an argument in a paper in 1916, uh, the foundation of the general theory of relativity, in which he says that the general relativity that general relativity takes away from space and time the last remnants of physical objectivity. <laughs> that is, space and time are not real entities, according to this paper. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, when Einstein produced these, developed these theories, came up with these theories, uh, Stokes is telling us that he was a instrumentalist, mm-hmm. right? The, I, I hold to these because they work, not necessarily because they are true. Right, so an instrumentalist, or another word, or another way to characterize instrumentalism is called non-realism. Right, is uh, as we uh, uh, um, is even more pronounced in the founders of quantum mechanics. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a lot. So um, he he talks about um, Heisenberg, which is uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, and um, he says that in a paper in 1925. Um, he comes up with this um, quantum theoretical mechanics based exclusively on relations between quantities ob- observed in, par- in principle. In the body of the paper, Heisenberg not only rejects any references to unobservables, so um, you know those those pesky things that we kind of just say exist, but uh, we're not sure. He also moves away from the very idea that one should try to form any picture of a reality underlying his mechanics. Yeah. So. You know, what, whatever whatever gobbledygook you came up with uh, to to make the equations work, um, you know, it's 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 not even worth it. All right. So now, as he posits Heisenberg, 
but then Schroeder. Oh, oh good old Schroeder. Yeah, the, the yeah. cat thing. Wants, right? to, wants to either love or hate his cat. <laughs> That's right. He says, although Schroeder originally tried to visualize what his famous uh, equation said about the unobservable realm, he quickly demurred from any realist interpretation. Yeah. So we have Werner Heisenberg. And we have, you know, uh, Schroeder, uh, and then uh, Erwin Schroeder, and then we have Niels Bohr, again, was an instrumentalist, yeah. right? He's famous for his ongoing debate with Einstein about whether quantum theory should be interpreted realistically, okay. right? It is Bohr's notion of complementarity, uh, a kind of uneasy, agree-to-disagree situation between what seem to be contradictory aspects mm-hmm. of the subatomic particle, yeah. right? The particle is... is, is uh, is um is a part way you know uh, acts as a particle? No, it acts as a wave. No, it acts as a particle. Well, you can't have it both ways. Well, yes, you can. Right? <laughs> yeah, however you want to look at it. Right. So this non-realist uh, position was consolidated at the time of the famous uh, <coughs> Solvay conference in October 1927, and is firmly in place today. Right. Such quantum non-realism is part of what every graduate physicist. Uh, learns and practice, yeah. right? So if this is right, then today's two main physical theories had instrumentalist or non-realist uh, foundations. Right. Right. So there you go. So even the beginning of the most two uh, uh, famous theories that we hold today, most confirmed theories, um, probably in the existence of science, had realist, or I'm sorry, instrumentalist foundations. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean... Uh, it- um, I think he makes a joke uh, later on is um, any any argument that starts out with um, um, uh, you know uh, quantum mechanics says you can pretty much uh, discount it because yeah. no one really quite knows what they're talking about. Yet. Yeah, yeah. He talks about the Copenhagen interpretation of uh, quantum mechanics, which is you know basically what we've been looking at right. here that there is no. Uh, so Einstein said the reason why these things act strangely and weird is because there's some other physical things that really do exist that are perhaps uh, interfering with them or something like that. The Copenhagen interpretation says, no, there isn't. There isn't. That's just the way it is. They're just weird. Right. 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 So when it comes to to the math, uh, there's a question of, you know, is it uh, is it, it the, the fact that you can do the math? Uh, it's relatively straightforward, so it works. Hey, look, yeah. it works yeah. great. Uh, but uh, as John Gribben calls it, quantum cookery, which is uh, <laughs> always fun when scientists uh, have a good little turn of phrase there. Uh, what isn't clear, however, is how the mathematics should be interpreted. That is what the math says about the observable realm, and why is quantum theory is so often. In, uh, uh, interpreted instrumentally yeah. well because the math works right. but is that math reflecting of what actually happens eh you know maybe <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, so it's it's uh, true that there's only one mathematical formalism for quantum theory so physicists have no problem with going ahead and using the theory even though they do not agree what it means yeah. which seems like an odd thing for scientists to yeah. do oh it works uh, we, we don't have no we, idea what, yeah. Yeah, why or what it means yeah. or, or that sort of thing yeah one problem, he says, is that according to quantum mechanics, subatomic particles, like electrons, do not have a definite position <laughs> and momentum prior to our measuring them. Right, yeah. Right? And so a single particle isn't really a particle, as we understand the term, but instead can act like a wave. 
right? So particles are smeared, he says, <laughs> ghostly entities unlike anything we can vis- uh, visualize or even imagine, right? So it's it's crazy, right? And yet the, the theory works right. and it's been confirmed, right? So, uh, you know, instrumentalist view about the two most confirmed theories that we have, right? right. That is... We don't have to say that the entities that are posited or or even the theory itself is true. All we need is a theory that works, that allows us to make predictions, that is successful in that way. And that's all we need, says the instrumentalist. Right. So just, just as with like... In, in fact, it may not be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in Newtonian mechanics allowed us to, to uh, predict where Uranus would be. And so here we're coming up with, uh, or we have theories that are giving us true and useful results. So uh, Newtonian mechanics was perfect. Well, except now we know it's been replaced by by these two, yeah. by, by yeah. Uh, relativity and uh, quantum mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. So just because, again, the the point is that just because something works doesn't actually mean that it's that it's uh, true. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah. That it yeah. that it represents true. Uh, notions of of what's occurring in the universe. It yeah. just might be helpful to advance the theory or to find Uranus if we ever need to do that again. <laughs> so it says another way of putting all of this is that quantum theory isn't an explanation of the physical world. It doesn't tell us what's really going on at the subatomic level right. behind the uh, the observable <laughs> scenes, right? And so it's not really an explanation. It doesn't tell us what's going on, right? It just allows us to make good predictions and and to work with the you know with the the, the theory, right? Mm-hmm. He quotes John Bell here: well, "Quantum theory does not really explain things. In fact, the founding fathers of quantum mechanics rather prided themselves on giving up the idea of explanation. They were very proud that they dealt only with phenomena. They refused to look behind the phenomena, regarding that as the price one had to pay for coming to terms with nature." It is a fact of history that the people who took the agnostic attitude towards the real world on the micro-physical level were very successful. Right? So not only did they, does it not tell us, not explain, they were proud of the fact right? Oh, yeah. right? <laughs> that it didn't explain. Which is uh, how uh, we saw the logical positivists uh, viewed science. So um, we're even... <laughs> Harkening back to uh, Hume's, uh, um, uh, you know, fork, and going back to to um, to the uh, what what happened to academia when the logical positivists came into view. Right. In fact, uh, Stokes tells us, listen for Hume's ghost and fine statement about this fundamental uh, period, foundational period. The quantum theory, and here's the, so here's the quote from by Fine, uh, Arthur Fine. Uh, the quantum theory that developed in uh, 1925 to 1927 was quickly interpreted as providing no more than a device for coordinating the outcomes of all conceivable experimental procedures, right? He says, uh, so uh, Stokes tells us, and as we saw, this human-inspired instrumentalism is popular even among today's right. physicists. Yeah. Right. So, um so, uh, quantum theory, the, the most successful theories that we have, the most confirmed theories that we have, began with the founders being instrumentalist and continues, at least the most popular interpretation of it is an instrumentalist interpretation mm-hmm. of the quantum theory, right? Right. 
Next. So, yeah, is, is Hawking, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the great Hawking, um, which uh, recently as, as uh, um, of this recording, um, we've we've actually seen a black hole now, <laughs> at least in, in digital form, and, um, you know, we saw the light <clears throat> around it. So um, he, he used um, his his ideas of, of, um, of quantum mechanics to um, come up with these uh, theories, including the theory of black hole, and he posited that uh, we'd be able to deserve it, and people that came after him or worked on it said that, uh, you know, something similar would would um, be observed if we ever were to see a black hole like um, what we um, have seen recently. Um, and so uh, we should uh, think that what Hawking says about his theory is, well, this is what is true about the world. And so, um, you know, if, if his, um, his observations come to make accurate pred- predictions like the black hole and what it looks like, then, um, you know, we should come to realize that it's true. All right. However, that's not what <laughs> Hawking's himself said. Right. So uh, he called um, in his uh, book, The Grand Design, he identifies his attitude so- towards scientific theories as model-dependent realism, which turns out to be no realism at all, which uh, it, it seems that's a, a lot of what Hawking's did was uh, he... he Turn the phrase in order to to uh, talk about something <laughs> different. Different, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he says that uh, according to this uh, realism, our brains interpret the input from our sensory organs and uh, making a model of the outside world. So we form these um, concepts, but there is no model dependent test for the reality. It follows that a well constructed model creates a relative reality of its own. So uh, uh, what he's doing is um, he's using a representationalist theory of perception. So um, it says that uh, we can never come into correct uh, contact with the external world, only our cognitive contact uh, with the ideas. We don't ever directly perceive that there's an external world. Right. So we perceive something, and what happens then is our mind makes a mental model of Mm -hmm. the thing that we're perceiving. It's not the thing in itself. It's a model of it. And that then is what we use to to do what we need to do to call our perception and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, that seems kind of weird, but then you also don't go... Okay, well, uh, I'm pretty much just a brain in my head, and you you never kind of internalize. Oh, I'm I'm inside my head. <laughs> you know, you, you're you're experiencing kind of this this projection of, of who you are right. um, th- through your eyes, and and you kind of forget about it. It's it's kind of uh, like how uh, I have my glasses on, and uh, if I wear them long enough, I kind of forget that they're there, although they really help me to see. <laughs> and so, um, you know, j- just because I I, um, I kind of wash away that memory it doesn't mean that uh that that's part of it that's that's uh that's occurring yeah so when we look at a book for instance you know and we see the book there is no little tiny you know uh paper ink book in the back of our mind right. we have according to this theory we've made a model a mental image a mental model mm-hmm. of the book and that's the thing that's being that uh, we capture when we say right. we see the book uh, right. use your imagination imagine this book oh <laughs> I, I did that i just yeah. did that i don't need i don't need to ex- uh, you know to see it again or to touch it or or anything like that i i can represent it within my mind it's it's you know what we learned at three years old about you know dragons and princesses and stuff 
So we see the idea, basically, yeah, is, is what right. this representa- representational realism says. We see the idea of the book and not necessarily the book itself. Right. And that idea is the mental model that we, that we uh, make in our, in our minds, <laughs> right? Um, right, so, um, so Hawkins is an instrumentalist, right? That's, that's really what uh, the idea is. There's no picture or theory independent <laughs> conception of reality, Right. All we have is our mental models, right? Hawking's instrumentalism, he says, isn't limited to scientific theories. Representational realism means that non-realism infects, as we said with the book here, mm-hmm. all our ideas about the external right, world. Right, right. Yeah. So everything that we see works like this, right? So we're everything is, uh, you know, is a realist, or I'm sorry, an instrumentalist. We can take on everything that we see, right? Yeah. Right? The book is, is uh, we don't need to know if it's really there or not as long as we have this, uh, you know, it's not, may or may not be true, but, you know, it, it works for us, right? It allows us to read it, to have other ideas that come from it, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's, the book is, is good enough. Right. So if the you, theory exp- of the book. if you experience bad things in your world, it's just your fault. So <laughs> you're, you're the one projecting bad things onto the world. So please stop. Right. So, you know, he says, we're back to taking our human condition seriously. We're even garden variety objects like tables, chairs, and people (laughs) aren't directly observed. The reason to believe in these things seems to be uh, merely pragmatic for empiricists like Hume and Hawking, right? That is, the story of physical objects provides an explanation for a large swath of sensory uh, experience. But he says Hawking goes further. His model independent realism becomes not only in an epistemological position about what we can know, mm-hmm. right, um, but a borderline metaphysical position about the nature of reality Man. itself. So we're starting to do philosophy here? Yeah, this how is, about that, this right? This is awful. We're, 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 we're going into uncharted territory. <laughs> At least for, for Hawking, right? Yeah, yeah now, this is what the logical positivists wanted to get away from. Yeah. They, they wanted, this This doesn't help us. This, That's this, right. this, this is metaphysical all, stuff. Yeah. We, don't, yeah. we don't care if we're in the matrix or not. Stop it. <laughs> he says, uh, not only can we know for certain, or can, can't we know for certain, uh, whether our theories are true, but suggests Hawkins, there is no fact of the matter of which these theories is true. Wow. Yeah. So the, really, statement. there's nothing out there? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the implication, right? right? Hawkins even goes so far as to say that although the Big Bang model of the universe's origin is more useful than the Genesis account, notice this. Neither model can be said to be more real than the other. This is pretty surprising coming from an avowed atheist. Yeah, yeah. We know God doesn't exist, but it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Yeah, that's right, right. <laughs> it, yeah, right. The Genesis account, you know, is is no more real than the Big Bang account. Yeah. Right? They're both, the, you know, they meet the, the phenomena, right? Wow. So that's, that's right. some pretty heavy yeah. stuff, right? All right, so then here's the question. What does success prove then, right? I mean, if indeed it doesn't show truth, you know, he says... He says his point is to argue against the view that success equals truth, right? That is, just because the theory matches all the available data doesn't mean that it's true. 
He says, let's face it, science is hard and truth is a high bar. You can't always get what you want. But you find that sometimes you get what you need. The question is, what do we need scientific theories for? That's the question. Mm -hmm. And he says there's no consensus on that. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> but we've seen first that, or at least uh, that... Uh, we need uh, theories to match observations. If they don't match observations, then clearly we know that, you know, that something has gone awry. Yeah. So right? it needs to be useful to us. Yeah, that's right. They needs to have empirical adequacy, mm -hmm. right, in order for us to say it's a good theory. As long as the world behaves as if there were such entities that the theory deposits uh, as being out there, then we're good to go. Right. In other words, we need to, to lower the bar to meet the standards we can achieve. Perhaps to ask for anything more is, you know, a crying for the moon. Right. <laughs> so theories, as long as they, you know, allow us to have success. Yeah. As long as they are empirically adequate. As long as, you know, they match our observations. Um, we're good to go with Yeah. Right. As long as I can get a better phone next year based off these scientific models, right. I'm okay with that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what you got to say. It doesn't matter if it's true. I got the good phone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's just that this further requirement of truth isn't necessary for a theory to count as success. It doesn't have to be true in order for we to, in order for us to say that it's that it's 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 uh, isn't it? Uh, um, so here's the question then that he asks. All right. Well, wait a minute. Isn't this just postmodernism, right? I mean, or is this what he calls modern religious obscure, uh, um, religious postmodernism? Yeah, right. So it's it, we're not talking about truth. We're talking about what what model works for you. Yeah. So it's it's uh, postmodernism kind of says you know there's no uh, objective truth. What's uh, true for me isn't always true for you. So um, you know th things like well, murder is wrong. Uh, in in your world, because uh, you know it it uh, it upsets the harmony of of the household. But uh, there might be another civilization that views uh, murder as a good thing because um, it takes out um, the 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 weak and and promotes the strong. So you know we can't say that um, murder is 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 wrong. Um, our our theory that murder is wrong is only helpful to us because we don't want to upset the household and we want to advance uh, progress where they want to do the same thing they just want to do it through kind of the uh the um mirror universe of of star trek right so just because it's successful doesn't mean that it's it's true and it doesn't you know and and we don't need to 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 say that it's true right he gives us some some any in, in terms of postmodern, he gives us he goes back and looks at the uh, ancient uh, greeks and suggest that some of them were also instrumentalists. And so this isn't necessarily a new thing, right? right? A postmodern thing, right? He says, we measure success in science largely by evaluating how well the theory saves the phenomena, that is, matches what we can observe. To put it differently, the dramatic success of science is primarily measured in terms of what we can observe, including te technological applications. And as we said, insofar as scientific theories match observation, insofar as they are empirically adequate, they're wildly successful, but this doesn't prove that they're true. Mm -hmm. So notice, Dawkins claimed that science works doesn't get him as far as he'd like. Right. Now, remember the argument. The argument was science works. That was the claim, right? 
and and science says that naturalism is true right so if naturalism is true then that means there's no god and therefore since science's works is successful there is no god mm -hmm. well the the what the the premise that he's getting at here is the issue of true just because truth just because science works doesn't necessarily mean that it may be true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. In fact, what we've seen is there's a whole host of theories that worked, that we held to, that we believed right. in, yeah. that we thought were good, they were good at the time, turned out to be not true. Right. Well, and uh, a couple episodes ago, or half a dozen, depending on how you listen to it, um, uh, you know, I, I made the claim that uh, kind of the politicians and, and the, the men of science t tend to have usurped the role of, of the priest. And if we go back to, to Greece or Roman times, you had people that um, were sought after for their knowledge and said, you know, I, I want my uh, daughter to uh, be, be safe on this journey that I'm going to uh, let her take uh, for four months. What do I do? Oh, well, you have to stand underneath this cow, slit his throat, bathe in the blood, and then it'll be marked with good, good, you know, wow. um, journey. Okay. Yeah, really think. So, yeah, uh, so you do it, and it's... It, um, do I have to wear my good clothes? Yeah, yeah, you, 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 th there, there's your sacrifice. And so, um, so how do we know that's the, the case? Well, because uh, we're in communion with gods, and they, they tell us, and we've also seen every time that someone does this, uh, barring anything that uh, that they, they might do that would offset that sacrifice, then that sacrifice works. Oh well, you know my my daughter's uh, uh, train car was was overturned and she broke her leg. What happened? Well, did she get did she get uh, on her journey on a on a Sunday? Ooh, you shouldn't have traveled on a Sunday. <laughs> that's that's uh, we we should have told you beforehand. And so there's there's always those defeaters. That's right. And and we do view that in science. In fact, um, uh, um, uh, Plantinga talks about defeaters in in his in his um, model and says that. Um, how, how much uh, do you hold to a belief and and you interact with defeaters until you kind of give up that belief? And so, um, you know, e even scientists today have these um, defeatist uh, uh, scales where they come in contact with it and say, well, you know, I, I don't have to um, accept that because of, you know, whatever it might be. So um, if we posit things like God, then th there are certain defeaters that they can... Um, uh, put in place and say, well, you know, uh, maybe the the, um, the history is wrong. Maybe the the science wouldn't turn out correctly. Maybe I have a, a bad understanding of what you know uh, the the claim of God is, and so um, we we see what he, he says is true is that this continuation of kind of replacing priests for scientists seem to to be in in similar contention here as well yeah yeah good so he says um that there are therefore decent reasons for being skeptical about scientific realism about whether our current uh, scientific theories give us the sober truth about the world ever beyond observation right um so in the previous chapter, he talked about how difficult science was, right? It takes more than logic and observation, requiring creativity and judgment calls and that sort of thing. In this chapter, he says, we saw that matching past, present, and future observations through experiments and technology doesn't ne necessitate that scientific theory gets the story about unobservables correct, right? 
Uh, and so, but he's going to say that there is another powerful bit of evidence for thinking that our best theory in physics are true, and that's what he wants to move uh, on to right. in the next chapter. Yeah, in chapter eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've we've dismantled science a little bit. We've <laughs> put it down a peg. We realized that science is hard. That it's laden with theories and extremely the, successful. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, but uh, we're not sure that those theories are the only theories. That they're, they're the only ones that match the uh, observation. There might even be hidden theories that we are better. Yeah, that, that are better than where we're at right now. Yeah, and uh, we're also taking an instrumental view that um, science doesn't always provide us with what is true that it uh, provides us what is successful, either to a theory or to technology or whatever we measure as, as being successful. And so um, so hopefully this understanding of, of what science actually is will give us a better um, utilization for when people say, uh, well, science has disproven God. So that, that's, that's kind of his point that he's making as he's continuing through this part of the book and then um, once we come to the morality part, that's that's also the fun one too of yeah. of a, a defeater for God. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, uh, we hope that you uh, like uh, this video. Or if you're watching on YouTube, um, you know, there's a, a tiny little bell up in the corner that you can hit for um, notifications. And we we break down these longer episodes into bite-sized pieces so that um, you can either uh, watch them in segments or share them. Uh, hopefully, they'll be helpful to to some people. Um, and maybe just need to go over uh, what was that thing about induction again? I should be skeptical of induction. Um, so uh, hopefully that's helpful. And we've done a book before this, uh, Jason Lyle's um, uh, Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason, where we went over uh, certain Bible difficulties. So um, check those out as well. And then um, we'll see you back uh, next week for the next uh, chapter. All right. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>